got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you for joining us today. We have, unfortunately, our first Monday of the season where KU lost. Couldn't keep up forever. Sad. But uh, they played them close. We'll talk all about it today. David Lesky is going to join the show at 3.40 to talk uh, kind of a Royals season a recap and look ahead to the offseason a little bit. It'll probably be our final conversation with David of the year, at least until maybe something big happens with the Royals. We have uh, Holly Kierskeeter, the All-Big 12 player for the KU women's basketball team, joining us at 425 in the middle of the 4 o'clock hour. We'll get to a little bit of a Chiefs preview as well with them playing the Raiders tonight on Monday Night Football. The wait is over, Kansas. DraftKings Sportsbook is here, and the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Right now, early line on the Oklahoma game, 7.5 on DraftKings. Over-under is 65. You can also get KU Moneyline at plus 235. Oklahoma is having one of the all-time worst seasons so far <laughs> against the spread. Yes. In terms of pure numbers. Yes. So take take that as you will. Yeah, so like uh, Bill Connolly of ESPN yep. SP Plus yep. actually kind of talked about this, and he was like, so through, know, the, through the first five games, against the spread, they are minus 98 yes, points. which is why it's one of the worst numbers like ever. Yep, it's fifth, fifth all-time. And so it's tough because you look at that line and you go, oh, Kansas is ranked, Oklahoma's not. Kansas has just one loss, and it was a close loss to a good team that Oklahoma got blown out by. Oklahoma's been blown out the last two weeks. They've looked disinterested. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma it, season is over, right? It's over. Yeah, to in, the standpoint of, of like, per, in yes, terms of like, yeah. from what they're looking at. For their expectations of like, oh, we're going to win the Big 12 or compete for, like, yeah, that is over. So that's the question. It's like, well, are they... Are they exactly? Are they going to care how much effort are they going to put in, or is it going to be like now we're pissed off, now we're just like playing free? That's the question. But that said, it's tough for me to figure out this line because it surprised me when I saw it. Because I think based on just how the teams have played, you almost would have thought Kansas was going to be favored. So is it a Vegas know something line, or is it just a situation where Vegas has not caught up with how bad Oklahoma is, and they're still expecting a bounce back, but the bounce back will never come. So I and, would and throw throw in all on top of all that the question of whether Dylan, Dylan Gabriel is going to play. Yes. Now Brett Venables said he expects him to, but that's not a for sure thing. I think I would be tempted to honestly take money. I I already got in on the spread a little earlier in the week. I might be tempted to take the money line at plus two thirty five. 
Seems like a good price. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KLWN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KLWN, only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. 10 plus leg required for 100% boost. Opt-in required. Parlay and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings com slash football terms. KU falls to TCU on Saturday, 38 to 31, the final score, first loss of the season. And if we're looking at it from the glass half full, which I think you can walking out of that game, yes, is yes, it was a loss. Yes, it was unfortunate. Yes, that would have been awesome to get to 6-0, get to bowl eligibility. You had college game day there, but KU once again proved that it can go toe-to-toe with the top teams in the Big 12, assuming that's what we think TCU is, which at this point, I don't think we've seen anything to make us think that's not the case. We'll learn a lot more about that this weekend when TCU plays Oklahoma State, but it was another example of, okay, there's no reason KU is just a pushover anymore and that they shouldn't go into every week thinking we can be competitive and we can win that game. Absolutely, and to your point, I think with TCU – I guess we have to consider them the the second best team in the conference right now. I guess behind yeah, it feels uh, like Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State is number yeah. one with a bullet. But even then, like but Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, yeah. it's not like it's Oklahoma State and then a gap. Exactly. Right? It's and, like, then, and then you've got this discussion of basically TCU, K State. You could probably throw KU in there at this yeah. point. Texas, Texas probably Ewers back. Mm-hmm. Like you've got that jumble of teams, kind of however order I guess you want to put them in. Baylor think, maybe. I don't yeah, know. I don't, yeah, and then you got the the question of Baylor. I don't really know where to put them. But either. I think honestly, the the thing is in the Big Twelve, I don't think there's like you could convince me a team could beat every other team in the Big Twelve, yep. but every single one would be by single digits. Because think about it, if Iowa State is either the worst or second worst team in the Big Twelve, they played Kansas close. They played Baylor close, and they played Kansas State close. And those are all teams we just mentioned there in like that you know, second tier. So exactly. I don't think there's that much of a difference between all these teams, to be completely honest. But I, I think it, again, yeah, was more proof that you were able to do that. Um, and yeah, TCU might just be the second best team. Who knows? Maybe TCU beats Oklahoma State this week, and we're talking about TCU being the best team in the Big 12 after this weekend. TCU college football playoff team? They have the offense for it. I'll say that. Um yeah. I don't think it's that unreasonable just because without the Big 12 maybe having that team that we view as being like a – because let's be clear. If any team makes it to the playoff, I think, from the Big 12, they ain't beating Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. No. Right? No. Maybe like I something mean, weird happens, but guess, they're not winning the title. I We're guess putting, maybe yeah. if Texas goes on a run and yeah. it's 11-2 and two with the Big 12 title under their belt, maybe they might be able to yeah. get in and have a shot against That's fair because they almost beat teams. Alabama. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'm not giving it enough credit. But I think the way I'm, I'm putting this is that I wouldn't view them as like a true title contender in the sense of they the same win. tier of those teams are. Yeah. yeah, but I could see them making it because the path is there. So, yeah, what if TCU only loses one game and goes 12-1? and one? Like, I don't think that's that unreasonable because there is no game and this is kind of the detriment of it in the Big 12, there is no game that any of these teams play that they're sitting there going, we can't win that game. But also the flip side of that is there's not a single game game. left on the schedule where you say that's a for sure win. Yes. So I think that's kind of the case for all these Big 12 teams. Yeah, that doesn't just go for KU. That goes Mm -hmm. for probably everybody in the Big 12 at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. Um, You know, you, you kept the game really close. You nearly won the game. You're driving toward the end of the game to try to win it. Even in a game where 
Okay, it was it was even in turnovers technically two to two, but like it was not even. Yeah, the TCU interception that came at the end of the half was just them being like, "Hey, we don't have a ton of time. Let's just throw one up and see if we can make a play." And honestly, not a bad strategy when you have Quinton Johnson and you were able to to have some contested deep ball catches. So I don't really count that as like a true turnover type interception. Yeah, it, it, it was an arm punt. Yeah, it was it was basically KU minus one, and then also when you add in that one of KU's fumbles was at the goal line. And then you missed a short field goal. Short missed a short field goal is essentially the same as a turnover. Yeah, it was even worse than that, basically. But KU had more yards in the game. They had over 500 yards in the game. They were able to move the ball whenever they wanted, especially in the second half. You know, both teams scored 28 points in the second half. They made TCU work for it on a lot of drives. There were a couple kind of deep ball hits, but the quote unquote deep ball hits were more so like 20, 30 yarders. Even I think I think the biggest play of the game for the TCU offense might have been that screen play. So that was probably out of bounds, right? Uh oh, to Davis that he scored a touchdown on? Yeah, yeah. Up the left sideline. I actually think if you remember, KU fumbled at the one, and on the very first play that TCU had the ball at the one, they hit like yeah. a sixty yard pass. You might be right. I think that was their biggest play. The Davis touchdown was just inexplicable. I mean, mm-hmm. even even like in like at the game, it was very confusing. They ran, they ran tempo, and like it just didn't seem like anybody was, re- nobody was ready for it at all. Mm-hmm. And then Davis just like it looked like he went out of bounds, but then he kept running, and then they just gave him a touchdown. And like, yeah, I don't know, but I think in terms of uh, the biggest play, it would probably that pass they hit off of the fumble at the one yard line, which I think I want to get to get into this a little bit deeper, but just real quickly, I want to mention this: that sequence, the fumble at the one. TCU scores in six plays in like less than two minutes, 99 yards. I think that would have broken a lot of teams. I know it happened early in the game, but think about that swing, right? You've got the ball at your opponent's two-yard line. You're about to score. You fumble. Their first play, they get a 60-yard pass, and then they end up scoring in the next minute. That would have broken a lot of teams, I think, or it would have certainly hurt them significantly. And once again, I think the resilience of KU was on display and that starts at the top with Lance Leipold, I think. And and the fact that they were able to to recover from that and really shake it off, especially on the defensive side. I think I think on the defensive side, they forced a punt on the next possession. Yeah. Right? Defense kept them in it in the first yeah. half. They, they, they really they did. forced a punt on the next possession after giving up that ninety nine yard drive. So yeah. that to me, it's it's the sequence that I think on one hand you could point to and say, here's where KU lost the game. That's a fourteen point swing. But I also think it's a sequence where you can point to and say, Okay, look at what happened and then look at how KU responded. And how they stayed in the game. And and again, I think that's kind of become a common theme for Kansas. You consider their two games on the road earlier this season that they both had to come back from deficits in those games and ended up ended up routing Houston and was in control of the game against West Virginia even late as well. So I think anybody who wants to question the toughness, the resilience, or just the just the pure tenacity of this Kansas team clearly has not watched them play. Yeah, you can't. Um, it, it's funny. Uh, that game was almost like to a certain extent a reversion of maybe some of the luck KU's had. Like uh, you get all the missed field goals against Iowa State. You have a couple fumbles that you recover near the goal line. That game was okay. We did this some of the same things, but it happened to us. We missed the field goal. We were the one who lost the fumble at the goal line, and, and we didn't pick it back up. Um, I just yeah. think that I don't know. I I would say that. It's it's like a heartening loss, which is or which is weird because we're at a point where clearly moral victories are, are no longer a thing. Obviously, Lance Leipold's talked about that, and not in the moral victory business. Yeah, when you're five and zero, when you're ranked, like clearly those things are gone. But it's still at the same point in time. I, I guess it feels like a missed opportunity to one standpoint to me because it is. 
hey, you had all these things go wrong, but on the other side of it, well, you played with your backup quarterback and you made these mistakes and you still nearly won the game. So that yep. clearly shows you that you're going to have other opportunities to to win those games. I in think the, the sentiment that you're expressing is still the KU football boogeyman underneath yeah. your, underneath your bed. Just you're just thinking he's going to come out and and so now you're trying to justify like, okay, yeah, they lost, but it wasn't how we thought it how typically you would think KU might lose, right? Yeah. Which was great. But I do want to get more into this turnover discussion because you mentioned it on Friday actually during our pregame during our preview, you said that turnovers while as cliched as it is, are always important that they're going to be important in this game against TCU, and it turned out they very much were. I already mentioned, I think you could probably point to the sequence of the fumble at the one and the TCU touchdown and say, KU lost the game there. I mean, right? yeah, KU. But, they, but it, they did respond. You never know how things go from a certain place, but it's yeah. easy to just say, hey, if they score a touchdown there, it's 38-38, KU's driving for a field goal at the end, they're kicking a field goal instead of going for it on fourth down. Now, yeah. would they have actually made the field goal? I don't know, but, but it's then, obviously a different game. You consider the second turnover that KU had. Well, first of all, you consider the pick at the end of the first half, which you mentioned was an arm punt. It didn't mean anything. KU kneeled it out. So that that it's, it's a turnover on paper, but obviously so the turnover margin is even in the game, but really, for all intents and purposes, it wasn't. And then you consider Jason Bean's interception on third and 20 in deep in his own territory that TCU scored off of immediately, right? K KU did score off of the fumble by TCU early in the second half as well. So they did get a touchdown out of that turnover from TCU but still the TCU turnovers were or the KU turnovers I should say were infinitely more impactful in the game than TCU's were because off the fumble at the one TCU scored immediately on 99 yards off the intercession by Jason Bean they scored immediately off, off of a short field Kansas had the the interception that didn't didn't change anything in the game had no impact and they got the fumble early in the second half that they did score on that helped them a lot but but still the turnovers for Kansas hurt them a lot more both on paper and just, I think, in terms of the game because of, like I said, that fumble at the one. You never want to fumble, but you never want to fumble at your opponent's one-yard line. Yeah, they, it really was, like, to your point. Like, it, it wasn't just the – it was, you know, just very bad and, turnovers, essentially. Um, and I know that there was – one more thought on this. I yeah. know that there was some maybe disgruntlement about Kansas had third and 12 – on that field goal drive, and they ran like a QB sweep with Jason mm -hmm. Bean or something, and he got two or three yards, and it was fourth and nine. And there was some disgruntlement about the play call in that situation for Kansas. And I think there's two ways you can look at it. Or I started thinking about it, and A, I wondered if that play call was not an outcome of the Jason Bean interception on third and long that happened earlier in that third quarter. Of Andy it Kolecki, probably was. Of Andy Kolecki saying, hey, you know what? I'm not, I don't trust Jason Bean here. We're going to play it safer because I don't want to turn it over on a third and long because of that interception they'd had earlier in the quarter. You could look at it from that angle, which I think could make a lot of sense, and maybe that's a question you might ask of Andy Kotelnicki whenever we get a chance to have him at a press conference later this week. Or you could look at it from the standpoint of this is a play call that Kansas has made already this season where if they have a, if Kansas has had a third and nine or a third and ten or a third and eleven, they have shown a propensity to run it on that down and if they got enough yards, go forward on fourth, which they only got three yards here, so they they ended up settling for the field goal that they missed. But you could look at it from that that angle as well as maybe instead of not trusting Jason Bean to throw, they had a lot of confidence in him to run for six, seven, eight yards to go forward on fourth, and he didn't get it. So I, I don't really know how – whichever way you want to look at it, obviously it didn't work out for Kansas, and they had to kick a field goal regardless, and they missed it. But, but yeah, I started thinking about that, and I thought – 
I wonder if that play call wasn't a result of the interception that Bean had thrown on a, on a third and long. And actually, before that third and 20 play, I remember thinking to myself, KU should punt. KU should punt on third and 20. <laughs> and instead they threw a pick on the next play. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a really bad pick. That was because that pick came right after they they had a botched pitch. That mm-hmm. was what set them up in third and long. Was they had a they had a messed up pitch on a on a triple option play. KU doesn't have a lot of interceptions this year, but man, the the one against Tennessee Tech and, and that one against uh, yeah, and it was a really bad interception. Too. Yeah, both yeah. very bad. Uh, I'll I'll just make mention of this real quick. Obviously, there were some calls that went against KU too in the game. Um, whether it was the, the not getting no the calls. review yeah. for the yeah yeah for the the touchdown. There was the uh, some that were like a right call, but was KU messing up, like Lonnie Phelps jumping off sides. Um, And then obviously at the end of the game, like the horse caller and then the, I don't know, it could have been a holding or defensive PI. I'll just go on record. I, I... After watching that play again, I actually don't think it was horse call. Yeah, I, I think it was a good no call. I wasn't totally sure on it to be honest, but I the holding slash DPI call been. on fourth down, I feel mm. a little differently about. But yeah, no, I I think it should have been. I'm not saying it's not. I just again, like I I never like to just put all the blame on the refs, and you know, there's other things that happen across the game. You could probably also flip it and say. We sure Quentin Skinner was in on that last touchdown <laughs> again. Like maybe you're saying no, like all these things were. But here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. And this is kind of funny. This is like a fan base thing. You ever notice nobody is ever willing to have empathy on this stuff and be like, you know, you're right. That was a terrible call, and we should band together and have the Big Twelve have the refs do something about this. No, whatever happens when when a team gets quote unquote screwed over or a bad call against them. The fan base will complain about it. The team they're playing will say, yeah, but here's the calls that they didn't call against us earlier in the game. And then fans of other teams will hop on board and just be like, okay, but this call two years ago against us didn't get called again. It's never a point of empathy. (laughs) Nobody is ever like, man, that sucks for you guys. They just immediately go into (laughs) hostile takeover mode where it's like, well, sorry, we have to deal with bad calls, too. And then it's an endless cycle because then the other fan base who's saying, well, sorry, we have to deal with it, too, or this is a time you screwed us over, will then complain about the refs and the bad calls it's like against the, them. It's like it's, the Saints fan thing. Yes, like, it's never any cycle. It's always a Saints fan that's like, oh, but remember the Rams game. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's just a never-ending cycle. So I don't want to spend time on it. Yes, it probably was a call that should have gone KU's way, but there were other things that happened in the game that could have led to it. So, again, on one hand... Not good that you keep fumbling. Not good that you're having some penalty issues. And you basically couldn't stop just one guy on TCU. Like Quentin Johnson had 14 catches. Nobody else had more than two. Uh, Also not good that you gave up 28 points in the second half. Also not good that your starting quarterback got injured. And that Jalen Daniels, your Heisman contender, is now hurt. Which uh, it sounds like, I don't know. He's listed number one on the the depth chart. There's really been no word. Yeah, but I don't actually expect him to play this week. Bean looked good, so that's positive. But I think considering so much of what happened in that game, for them to nearly win the game, while unfortunate, while tough, I think gives you more positive indication about this team the rest of the season. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some Lance Leipold post-game press conference audio to share with you. Coming up next. And we'll be playoffs are ongoing, and what the heck? Royals aren't part of it. That's not cool. But you know what is cool? David Lesky of Inside the Crown joins us to help recap the season, look ahead to the offseason, and clearly right now the Royals are waiting on a couple big moves, certainly. Mike Matheny was fired. 
So I guess first off, we'll uh, start with the manager position before we get into the the pitching coach position here, David. Um, who who sticks out to you as top candidates here, or I guess what is it that you are looking for in terms of maybe just the traits or the qualities that whoever the next manager is has? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's um, it's interesting because all managers need to have the ability to communicate now more than ever. Um, JJ mentioned this in the press conference was that Thursday afternoon, whatever. I think it was Thursday. Um, he, he did, it's a different job than it was even a decade ago when they hired Ned Yost, when they, when they moved on from Trey Hill and brought Ned Yost on, which was, I guess, more than a decade ago, but still not, not that much more than a decade ago. Um, it was not as much about that. Um, yes, you had to communicate, but now it's, the decisions are kind of made. Um, you know, we know, okay, when Chris Bubich faces this hitter a third time, he struggles. So he can only go through the lineup. He can, throw, he can face 22 hitters today unless there's this or whatever going on. And it's really just about the communication now from the manager's position. It's about managing people um, <laughs> more than more than managing the game. And yet there are some decisions. It's not like it's just a push-button job that anybody can do if, if they – know how to deal with people, but it's more about that. And so I think um, the name that I keep hearing the Royals are really enamored with is Matt Quattraro. Quattraro. I, I almost hope they don't hire him. Um, <laughs> hard to say. <laughs> like, like, it's one of those words that doesn't flow off the tongue. Um, and well, at least you're mostly going to be writing about him. I, I should be the one who's true. really not hoping that he's hired. I mean, I'm on the air of fair. Matt. Yeah, that's so, true. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, I mean, you know, there's Yost did made sense. Matheny was a little bit harder. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't. Um, but he's a guy who I, I think the Royals really like. Um, makes sense. He was with Cleveland. He was their hitting one of the hitting coaches. Um, God, like 20 middle when John Sherman was there, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe he was gone right before John Sherman came out. Either way. Um, He's been the Rays bench coach for a while now, which I think checks off a lot of boxes for any team, basically, if you can be associated with the Rays. So I think he makes sense, but yeah, there, there are others. I mean, it's, it's um, kind of wide open. I mean, I wrote about the 22 candidates that I thought of, um, and, I, and I think you know, there, there's, there's a place for any and all of them, honestly. It's just a matter of you know, what, what fits best with a young offensive core, a young pitching staff that needs to get better. Um, you know, who can can be the right voice in that clubhouse? And and I think that you know, just like I believe Mike Matheny could be successful with another team, um, there are candidates who will make sense in other spots, but don't make sense in Kansas City. Or and vice versa. I mean it was I guess it's implied, but <laughs> you know it's it's um there are a lot of possibilities out there, and I don't know. I'm very curious to see because it sounds like the manager position is going to be filled first um, while they're doing work on the pitching side as well. But um, that, that, that's, that, that's an important one to fill because you know, they, they need to get this right. They, they absolutely have to get this right because if they don't, then they're not going to be the ones making the decision. So... Um, this is an important hire for everybody in that front office, and um, they, they, they've got to nail it. Well, I, I kind of wonder, 
I don't know, maybe this is like galaxy brain too deep into thinking here. With how, and I don't know if the Royals will do this moving forward, but with how like a lot of MLB teams have turned so much into the analytics game, it almost feels like uh, a lot of the managers, it's just passing down the information. It's kind of being that, that you know, hey, the front office created the lineup today. Here's the lineup that, that's going to be best suited. You just have to kind of in-game manage it and, and manage the personalities and whatnot. Like, is there a case that the pitching coach hire is actually going to be more important, especially knowing the Royals have all these young pitchers who are really looking to, to kind of break out or, or find something of themselves? Like, could you make that argument that the pitching coach hire is going to be more important? Yeah, I think you just did. I, I truly, it, it's a, um, I mean, Andrew's job is just different these days. Um, and, and I think that part of what you like about a guy like Matt Quattraro, and I said it the first time, can't see the, did you catch that yet? I was, I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. Um, <laughs> I think what you like about somebody like Matty Q um, is that he's, he understands the analytics. He, he does. And so it's not – it doesn't necessarily have to be passed down from the front office. It's, and he's going to work in tandem with the front office. Um, but in, within the game, your job is not huge as a manager today. And so, yeah, I think the pitching coach is – uh, maybe pitching coach and hitting coach, I think, are more important today than the manager um, for a team like the Royals because you've got uh, well, well with the pitchers, but you've got all these young pitchers. You've got to figure out. Okay, we've seen what Daniel Lynch can be on both sides. How do you get it to the good side? <laughs> you know, how how do how do you take thirty starts from him and make twenty on the good side, five on the bad side because every pitcher is going to have bad starts and five that are okay, or maybe it's. Maybe it's not quite the breakdown, but how do you make the majority of his starters not bad, Daniel? Same with Bubich, same with Heasley, same with, I don't know if Jackson Corr has lost cause or not, but, you know, him and, and Anzerpa and Asa Lacey, if he were to come back and, and start, all these guys, Alex Marsh, how do you get the most of these young pitchers? Because if they don't, the only path to winning is to spend money. And the Royals, right or wrong, are probably never going to spend real money. They have to figure out how to develop arms because they've figured out how to develop bats. I, I, don't, I don't know how good they're going to be offensively, but they have figured out how to develop big league caliber bats who have performed in the big leagues. The pitching hasn't done that yet. And if you look at Bobby Witt Jr., Vinny Pasquantino, MJ Melendez, uh, Michael Massey, Drew Waters, these guys, they are – they're performing at the big league level, at least adequately. The pitching outside of Brady Singer just hasn't done that consistently. So they have to figure that out, which makes the coaching staff way more important, I feel like, than the guy who's leading the coaching staff. Not, not to say that the manager's not an important hire, because it's a very important hire, but for the future, it, it's about the pitching. David, you kind of touched on it briefly a few minutes ago with Mike Matheny and Dayton Moore, do you think either one of those guys will get another managerial job or, or front office job in the future? That's a great question. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I have a really hard time if the way, the way John Sherman, I'll start with Dayton Moore, the way John Sherman um, presented the firing a couple weeks ago, whenever that was a few weeks ago now, um, Sort of made it sound like, hey, this guy wasn't willing to change, so we made the change. Um, <laughs> if you're another organization, do you even bring him in for an interview? 
I mean, he's not willing to be a, a general manager president in 2023, 24, 25, whatever year it is. Like, do the things that you have to do to win in baseball now. Is it even worth your time? Because these are not half-hour cursory interviews. These are four- or five-hour interviews, usually, um, at the least. So, I don't know. I, I could see a world where there's kind of a dysfunctional organization. They want to bring somebody in who is thought to be good with people and good with culture and all that. And we can argue whether Dave Moore is that guy or he was just painted as that guy. But I could see an organization bring him in for that. I don't know. It's tough to say. Um, with Matheny, I wonder a little bit if he has to take the bench coach job. If he wants to get back to the manager, could he go to, I don't know, Tampa? If somebody's going to hire Quattraro, this, this hiring cycle, I feel like. Could he go to Tampa and sit on the bench with Kevin Cash? Yeah, maybe. I mean, could, could he go to Houston? Could he go to Oakland, Milwaukee, wherever? I think it's a possibility. Um, but I think he's I, – I could be wrong. Guys get hired a second time. They don't often get hired a third time when they didn't succeed the second time. So they have to go back back a step in order to get back to the manager's job eventually. Well, let's talk some off-season stuff here in terms of the personnel. Is there anything trade-wise that's on your radar, whether it's a player that you think could be shopped from the Royals or maybe somebody that is out there that would make sense for them to target on the other end? Well, I mean, I think on the Royals' side, it's hard to say, which is kind of fun because we've spent 15, 16 years knowing exactly how they're going to approach an offseason, and now we don't, which is interesting. Um, I mean, I, I keep saying this, but if you look at the Royals' roster – don't ask yourself, would the Royals trade him? Because I, they're going to try to operate differently. Ask, would the Rays trade him? Would the Guardians trade him? <laughs> you know, would would the Astros, well, the Astros is a bad example because they'll spend a lot of money. But you know what I mean? Like all these organizations, would they trade him? And I, mean, I think I think you're looking at anybody but Bobby Witt Jr., um, probably Vinny Pasquantino, maybe Salvador Perez. <laughs> I think that. Um, I, I would assume Salvi is not getting traded, but I also feel less confident in that than I did a month ago. Um, you know, that anybody who one of those organizations would trade the Royals might now trade. So I don't, I don't know who it'll be. They're going to have to make some moves. This is, and I wrote this a few weeks ago. I wrote it this morning. The roster doesn't work. It just doesn't, it doesn't add up. Um, there's too many outfielders. There's too many random infielders. Too many first basemen for sure. It just, it just doesn't quite. It doesn't. It, there's, there's. It's a puzzle that's got extra pieces, which is not the worst thing. It's just, it's got to fix it. So, they're going to have to trade somebody. Um, as for who they can target, if you are a pitcher with a pulse, the Royals will be looking at you this offseason. <laughs> they will do what they can to bring you on board. I think. Uh, Pablo Lopez is the name you keep hearing with the Marlins because he um, he doesn't quite fit there. Um, they have a lot of young pitching. He's the guy who's going to bring some back. He doesn't have a lot of team control left, so he makes some sense. Um, I I think I mentioned this in the trade deadline, and then a Royals Farm Report guys wrote about this the other day. Jose uh, Arcuti from the Astros I think makes a ton of sense. Not a great starter, but he's a limit walk. I mean, guys, guys like that. Are, are who the Royals should be targeting. I don't, 
I'm not sure they have what it takes in who they're willing to trade to go get an ace or even a number two. Um, but you can get a solid three or four, which is, I mean, helpful. <laughs> they, they have four spots in the rotation to fill. When, when you exclude Zach Greinke, who is not on the roster, as free agents can become free agents. So um, they, they could use guys. So, like I said, anybody with a pulse, they're going to look at. Um, ideally, they don't walk guys. That's, that's number one for me. But um, they're, they're going to be active out there, I think. Well, I guess to that point, then, as far as free agency goes, like, do you do you really expect much to happen in terms of hitters, or do you just more so expect any free agency moves to be centered around the pitching? Um, I think they could use a veteran bat in the middle of the lineup. Um, it's going to be a three or four hitter. I mean, like six hitter too. I don't know how they're going to go about it because where do you put him? I mean, they the, the easy answer is hey, there are. Superstar shortstops on a market. You could move your young player who struggled defensively at shortstop to third, bring one of these guys in, fill a bunch of holes. Okay, I get that, but are they likely to sign Carlos Correa? I don't think so. <laughs> Just a hunch. I don't think they're going to get Correa or Trey Turner or Xander Bogarts or even Dancy Swanson. Just, just a hunch. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I just don't think it'll happen. And then you look at the other, like the third baseman on the free agent market, not much. Um, it's a pretty heavy first base DH market. So, I mean, do you say, hey, we're going to go out and sign Josh Bell and then trade Nick Prado and Edward Olivares? And, what? you know, I, I don't know, maybe. problem is you really want to lock up the DH spot because one of him or Pat Latino is going to DH, and then what do you do when Salvi needs a day off? I, it, that, that's where the lineup and the, and the roster gets weird. So I, I think maybe they might go after somebody um, in preparation to trade somebody, but... Um, I don't know. I, it's hard to find that fit right now. Yeah, that I don't know. I I feel like obviously, are they at a point where they wouldn't want to you know block any of the young guys from from getting at bats? Like, it, would that be a, a logical worry at all in free agency and in who you pick up? Well, yeah, but I I think anybody they would get in free agency, um, except for somebody on the left side of the infield. Because I feel like they've got a first baseman, second baseman, a shortstop or third baseman, bunch of outfielders. They could they could slide somebody in there without without taking time away from a young player. But anybody else, I feel like it's we're going to sign Josh Bell because we're trading a first baseman or two. <laughs> it, it, you, you're almost preemptively saying, okay, now we can trade. We're going to sign Josh Bell because now we can trade Nick Prado for whatever or. You know, whatever that. But again, that goes back to you're clogging up DH now when Salvi gets day off. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just it, it. I know it's partially J.J. Piccolo's roster, but he also inherited a little bit of a hairy mess. Um, again, not in a terrible way. They've got good players. It's a good thing, but it's it's a web that has to be untangled. And I I don't even know where to start with it. Honestly, I I mean, I guess if I was being paid handsomely to do it i would figure it out but i just don't know exactly where the right place to start is what the hell do we do with uh um for the oh my gosh i just completely blanked on his name uh well i was just talking to you uh blah 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 blah. oh this is great rate of right here alberto mondesi i was thinking this stupid name change i was thinking raul abanez because he's raul mondesi i'm terrible anyway (laughs) uh adalberto mondesi what the hell happens with him now I don't know. I mean, it's 
it's interesting because usually when guys get hurt, even if they miss the rest of the season, you see them at home. He'll be sitting in the dugout. Reporters will see him before the game. I haven't heard a single word that Mondesi has been anywhere in the organization, anywhere publicly, since whatever date it was he walked off the field. Um, I mean, I guess maybe it was a couple days after that. But still, once the surgery happened, I don't know anybody that had seen him. I haven't seen him in the dugout and watching games. Nothing. It's very weird. Um, I know Piccolo said something about him being the shortstop next year. I just don't – I don't know how – I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you bring him back. The MLB trade rumors estimations came out, $3 million. Um, that's not much, honestly. But at the same time, is it even worth it? <laughs> I mean, just let the guy go. You know, it doesn't, I just don't see a spot for him. And maybe I'm wrong, but I think he gets non-tendered. All right, well, we don't have a player of the week since the Royals weren't playing last week. So uh, what's your uh, – They your... Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I guess that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. So we can do that, or you can give us a World Series pick or both. I'm going to give you both. Love because it. Because I want to call out how good Vinny Pasquantino was um, in the last week of the season. Well, last week, last three games of the season. He he finished the season just awesome, um, and I just think he deserves to be – um, commemorated for that. 360, 417, 636 in three games. So, Vinny Pasquantino, the final player of the week, and it's his birthday. So, happy birthday, Vinny. Mm. Um, <laughs> World Series. I I really, I wrote this. I really want to say Mariners Padres. I really, really do. Um, it's a rematch of last year, and it's so boring, but I think it's Braves Astros. <laughs> this time, I think the Astros come out on top. I think they just have better pitching than they did last year. Um, but yes, that, that that Braves team people people talk about the Dodgers and how good they are, and they obviously are phenomenal. The Braves were every bit as good as them for the last four months of the season. And the Mets, people say the Mets blew a ten and a half game lead. No, they played at a ninety seven win pace for four months, and the Braves still got back, got past them. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's just it's ridiculous to me. The, the Mets didn't blow anything. The Mets played great down this. They won 101 games for the year. They played at a 97-win stretch, 97-win pace for four months. The Braves just caught them. They're like freeze runner they have <laughs> in the in the sixth inning or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I think Astros Braves. I give Astros the win, but I hope I'm wrong. He is David Lesky. You can check out all his work at Inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time as always. Yep. Thanks, guys. All right, that's David Lesky. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We'll take a timeout and come back for Case of the Mondays after this. After your weekend-long bender. I got to get out of here. I think I'm going to lose it. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a Case of the Mondays. <laughs> Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You freaking me out, man. I got a massive headache. Okay, let's just calm down. Oh, this is a calm down. Look around you. With Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right, it's time for our case of the Mondays. You know where... Uh, I don't even know how to segue this, but uh, yeah, go check out Venue 1235 because you won't be feeling like you had a case of the Mondays if you went there Uh, over the weekend because you probably had so much fun. That was good. Although maybe that would make you feel like you have a case of the Mondays, right? Because the whole point of this is like you had so much fun over the weekend and then you are not having fun because it's Monday. Is that what you think case of the Mondays is? 
Yeah, sort of. It's like, you know, having a hangover. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, You're not happy with it being like, Monday, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. It's so like, if you had so much fun at venue 1235, which yeah. is located right off I-70, it's five minutes from downtown Lawrence, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio, you might be sitting there today with a case of the Mondays. Okay, we figured it out. There you go. All right, first up for case of the Mondays, mats. Mats all around the world <laughs> this is awesome. are having cases of the Mondays. <laughs> Um, let's see. Matt Stafford. He has the same stats as Matt Ryan. Yes. They both have five touchdowns and seven interceptions. Oh, also, I didn't Yuck. add this, but they've also they've also both been sacked 21 times this season. That's super weird. Isn't that weird? The two Matts. But obviously, mm. like, Matt Stafford's coming out for Super Bowl year, so you think yeah. it'd be a lot better, but no. Both two wins? Question mark? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Rams so. are two and three. Colts, Colts have, two have two wins, wins weirdly enough. Unfortunately. Yeah, one of them against the Chiefs. So uh, I, I Matt you, Stafford, not good now. Um, I guess the Rams yep. are Matt, having Matt the Super Bowl sucks. hangover. Yep. Both Super Bowl teams are two and three. Uh, Matt LaFleur lost to the Giants, which we'll one. get to more on them in our NFL Monday the overreaction. The Giants might actually be good, Derek. So yeah, I, mean, I know. What, I don't, Weird. I mean, it's definitely still a case of the Mondays for Matt LaFleur, but... Yeah, I don't know. The Giants might be good. I can't figure out why they're good, though, is the only <laughs> thing. I'm like, You're okay, but is Dan- the defense really good? No, <laughs> no, I mean, it's fine. Daniel is Jones. Is the quarterback really good? No, no. He's, like, actually probably one of the they're bottom wide five receivers. to ten quarterbacks. No. no. Paid Kenny, Kenny Galladay. hasn't done anything. Yeah. <laughs> like they, take one, I guess. Is that it? <laughs> they just have a really good running back, but I thought we've gotten past that and point of NFL. They're 4-1. I know. They have the same record as the Chiefs. I don't get it. But, yeah, Matt LaFleur didn't work out for him. Uh, Matt Rule was fired today, the Carolina Panthers head coach. He was, I saw this step. He played 17 games, or he didn't play. He coached in 17 games where the opposition scored 17 or more points, and he was 1 in 16. So if wow. you just put up 17 on the Panthers, which weirdly <laughs> enough, didn't he almost beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead? Uh, yeah, years I ago, so. like Bunker yes. had to hit like a long field. Or, yes, you know, maybe so. they missed like a 60 yarder to win it or something well, like that. That might have been the same year that. The Falcons almost beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead, yes, and they missed like a bad. they missed like a thirty yard field goal that would have won the game. Yeah, that was a that was a wild mm-hmm. year for the Chiefs. But yeah, so Matt Rule's fired, and honestly, Which, this hey, is depending on yeah. where you sit here. This could actually be great. I think this is a great thing. Um, not for Matt Rule, like yeah, yeah it's obviously you know, I feel well, bad for, okay. I don't know, listen, long term, how bad? He's getting fired hold on, hold on, anyway. Time out, millions time of dollars. Time, exactly. I was about to say this. How much empathy do you have for Matt Rule? He's owed like forty yeah. million. His buyout was like forty million. Yeah, and he's gonna. The, the Panthers are gonna pay him like nine hundred k a month, and for he's like gonna the next five pick years. Up some high level college football job too. Right? So how bad do we need to feel for him? Yeah, probably not that bad. I don't feel bad. Um, I don't know. I feel bad for maybe if he has like kids who are in school and they have to move. Like that sucks. Uh, so anyway, um, <laughs> no, he, no empathy. The reason this is super interesting, he certainly would be high up there for the Wisconsin and the Nebraska jobs. He was on like some betting lists. Bruce Feldman had him as like number. One or two on the yeah. Nebraska list. Had really good success in college turning programs around with Temple, with Baylor. So, yep. yep. Nebraska, make the call. Yes. And the good news here for obviously with the Lance Leipold stuff and would he go to another school? Lance Leipold is finishing out the season at Kansas. Matt Rule doesn't have anything to do right now except nope. interview for jobs. Yep. And make a lot of money to sit at his house. Yeah. So that's good. Well, I don't feel bad. Uh, this was a tough one. <laughs> yeah. Matt Amendola's had, had a, I, ha, I feel kind of bad bringing this one up, actually. He's had a bad, really, mm. this is going back to like last week. 
So obviously he was with the Chiefs, replacing Harrison Butker. The Chiefs, the Chiefs let him go. The Cardinals sign him, and then against the Eagles, he misses the game-winning field goal yesterday. Talk about a case of the Mondays. Yes. Uh, at this point, you almost blame the card. Like you, you saw how much he could not kick well, against also, the Colts. You can blame Kyler Murray. You just, so you know why they had a field goal, right? It was third down no. late in the game, and Kyler Murray spiked it on third down. Oh no. He spiked it on third down, so then it was fourth down, and there was a three-point game. It was so a double points kicked, week for Call of Duty. They kicked the field goal. Mm. So it's really not even his fault that he had to <laughs> kick that field goal. Yeah, I, I played in the Cardinals here. You saw what he did against the Colts. It's your fault you signed him. You you weren't like, hey, why don't we sign a different <laughs> kicker? Yeah, so that's tough. So not a great weekend for the Mats. All right, speaking of Cardinals, mm-hmm. teams with Cardinal mascots mm. are having a case of the Monday. Okay. Specifically facing Philly teams, actually. So the Philadelphia Phillies, they beat the St. Louis Cardinals mm-hmm. to knock them out of the MLB playoffs. And we just mentioned Arizona, the Cardinals, just lost. So if you were a fan of a Cardinal team, specifically playing Philadelphia, oh, you know you what else? Case of the Monday. I know this isn't actually the Cardinals. And in fact, they would get mad if you called them the Cardinals because they're the Cardinal, which is not like oh, the Stanford? bird. It's yes. But did you see how they lost too? To yes, Oregon State? where the guy, like the, the, the cornerback just basically for no reason <laughs> yeah. just stopped. And the Beavers guy caught it and scored? It, it was essentially a the Stephon Diggs play against the Saints in the playoffs a few years ago, like the Minneapolis yeah, Miracle, I yeah. think they called it. It was basically that. Oregon State was down four. Yep. Like There was like 20 seconds left. They had yep. it at their own, like, I don't know, 30 or 40-yard line. And he yeah, just threw it down the sideline, and yep. the Stanford defensive back. Two players just, converged and completely whiffed just, on it. Yeah, they just stopped playing. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, not a great week to Would, be does, a Matt or a do, Cardinal. Do Stanford people get mad if you say Cardinals? Probably. I would just assume. I, I feel like regionally I mean, people California, get mad at everything. I honestly, like, I don't remember, to be completely honest. Like, okay. it wasn't something where I was, like, in high school and, like, you know, I'm going to try to rile this group up over here. <laughs> um, but I feel like they probably would, like, in the same way that... If, if you're a Stanford fan, message us right now. Yeah, Cardinals, if you know. The like, Cardinals make you angry. Well, I just, I feel like it would. Like, think about it. Like, people from, like, Boy- Boise, Idaho, they get mad if you say Boise. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Right? If you say Boise State, like it's Boise, right? Really? Yeah. I so. honestly did not know that. Weird regional dialect wow. stuff. I had no idea. Um, ear doctors are having a case of the Mondays. <laughs> this is kind of funny. So Joe Musgrove got the full inspection <laughs> for the Padres. So Joe Musgrove, his ears were like really red and oily looking, and he was dominating the Mets. So Buck Showalter comes out and he's like, hey, check this guy for foreign substances. So Joe Musgrove walks over, and the umpires he takes his hat, he takes his hat off, and if you watch the video, I mean he's like they're like full on just like getting oh, yeah. all up in there on his ears, like feeling up his ears, making sure everything's good, and <laughs> he passed. So it's just a it's it's a bad day to be uh, someone who is an ear doctor because you just got shown up by the MLB umpires who yeah. did a better job of clearing Joe Musgrove. <laughs> they had so, to like call a like. Uh, Ear throat no or ear nose throat doctor and ENT to like come in and no um to just feel up his ears. That was it was kind of like gamesmanship there. And I'm surprised this doesn't happen more in the playoffs because I don't necessarily even think Buck Showalter thought that Joe Musgrove was cheating or had something in his ears. I mean, if you do look at some pictures, his ears were sure abnormally red. I guess, and looked a little oily, per, perhaps. <laughs> so it's like a but like it is rather silly though. Don't you think? 
you could try to, if you were a manager, be like, hey, we're dead. Because I think at the time they were on 4 nothing when they did yeah, it. Yeah, no, they were getting smoked. Yeah, and they, they couldn't do anything against Joe Musgrove. Joe Musgrove. They're just like, yeah, let's try anything. Let's try anything to try to get him off his game. <laughs> if this, like, makes him mad and that makes him a worse pitcher, or if this just distracts him and takes him off his game, takes him out of his rhythm, like, try anything you can. I'm surprised this does not happen more, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, if you're just getting dominated, I guess that's a good point. You know, if, if a guy is just absolutely destroying you. I don't think wise. there's a rule that's like you can only ask for you to check this many like times. Like every inning, you're like, hey, imagine check that. him again. No, you definitely couldn't do that. That would like be major issue. But like you could, <laughs> what if you just did it with every pitcher? Again, the other team would hate you. Like yeah. the game would take five hours. It would be awful. Yeah. But if you're just trying to win, I don't know. It's, it's kind of that fine line of like, especially in baseball, you have the unwritten rules and everything. Uh, uh, yes, the old unwritten rules. Tom Brady is having a really bad case of the Mondays. I, I feel bad. Um, how could you not after the severely crushing sack that he took that led to a roughing the passer, you know, eject, uh, uh, I forget if it was like Grady Jarrett or yeah, whoever. Grady Jarrett, yeah. Okay. Uh, eject him for life. No more football for him forever. <laughs> However, will Tom Brady recover? Rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, listen, every week. There's a call in some game that's like, oh, that's the worst call of all yeah. time. How did they miss that one? That's the worst one. This might actually been the have been I the worst know. The one. The Chris Jones one against Tom Brady still <laughs> from the AFC Championship. Yeah, he I think just like gives him I a think, pat on the shoulder. I think the Grady Jarrett play specifically for Chiefs fans triggered that moment. Yes, I don't think a lot of other fan bases probably really remember that. But yes, that was obviously a very horrible, horrible call. And this was a horrible call against Tom Brady. I mean, he just. But like he got flagged for ta- he got flagged for a sack. Yeah, he got flagged for sacking him. It was if, it, he, it, if he didn't see the play, he like kind of spins him around, and like I mean, barrel rule, rolled him to the ground. Yeah, there's basically. a rule that's like says you you know you, you can't, can't land slam on him or that or slam yeah. him. And he didn't he didn't I don't slam think he did him. either. He just of kind those, of though. he just kind of wrapped him up and they like did a little pirouette yeah. spin thing and then he fell down. And he seemed kind of cognizant that like you can't roll on top of him, so like he didn't. It was it was yeah. super weird. And then Tom Brady like kicks him as he's on the ground. Yeah, allegedly there was some video that shows him kicking him. Allegedly. I saw it with my two <laughs> eyes. Um honestly like what do you think the ref was just like, hey man, I'm sorry about your divorce. Let me know when you need a call. Just uh give me a signal. He's like, what do you want the signal to be? I can't just be like give me the call. Everybody's <laughs> gonna know. He's be like, you know what, do something that that people won't expect. Kick him, and I'll give you the call. And that was the sign right there. And then I would like to say that it turns out when Tom Brady was talking about how there's bad football around, he was talking about his own team. Mm, yeah. He was talking about his own team. Yeah, they almost blew it to the Falcons. They, they should have. 21-15, the final. That Bucks offense, have. not very good, man. The Bucks but, are, are are bad. Yeah. Okay, uh, case of the Mondays for lying. Maybe this should be telling the truth. I don't know. Um, Telling the truth. Well, Sean McVay said that Matt Stafford needs help. I don't think that was him saying, like, a you know, he's an alcoholic or anything like that. I don't mean (laughs) to make light of that. But, yeah. Um, No, he just he needs help around him, which I'm sitting there like, okay, first of all, you're the one in charge of calling plays. Second of all, (laughs) this is like the same team offensively. Well, they don't have Van Jefferson. Oh, Turns yeah, out Van on. Jefferson oh was the glue that held the Rams off. Yes, like you don't have Odell anymore, okay? But you signed Allen Robinson. You give him a giant contract to and try to Stafford come in. Refuses to throw to him. Yeah, refuses. the offensive line. I will say the offensive line is not good. The Cowboys have a good defense, but I don't know. Are they just going to sign Odell? They might. I don't know when he can play though. Is the problem? Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. I don't know either. Paul George also said that Kawhi is the one and he's the two. So love the honesty here. All right, yeah, so I mean, it's I'm, true. I'm say, but... This is a good lie detector test situation mm-hmm. here. I mean, 
Is he? Do you think he's telling the truth? Do you think, like, so deep down he thinks he's the yeah, one so because he's just trying to keep the there's peace? There's two ways you can look at it. Like, one, do you think Paul George is telling the truth as he sees it? Or two, do you think he's just telling the truth? I think he is legit like, think, telling the truth. Like, do you think he's saying, do you think when Kawhi, when Paul George says that he, Kawhi's the one and he's the yeah. two, do you think Paul George believes that? Yeah, so, like, because clearly we all know Kawhi is the one and he's the two. But I does, actually but do does think Paul he George believes believe that. It? I do think he believes that. I think another... Play like if you said another player said that, <laughs> I might not believe it. But Paul George is like the the ultimate like NBA sidekick. He's like I want to be the beta here. Like yeah. I'm really good at basketball. He does a lot of things well. Yeah. But he's like I I don't want to be the number one. So I I do believe that. <laughs> yes, I do think he's telling the truth. Interesting. Because obviously in basketball you always have this question of mm-hmm. guys always you know like 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 what if James Harden said that. When he went to Philadelphia, if he was like, "Yeah, Joel, Joel Embiid's the one, and I'm the two. Like, would you believe James Harden if he said that? Well, see, again, like I think from the, like it's true that Joel Embiid is the one, but yes, I, but I would not James believe Harden, James Harden. Would you believe? That. Yes, I would think that deep down James Harden is like, no, but I'm actually like the guy. <laughs> or if Kyrie said that he was the two and uh, Kevin Durant was the one, Kyrie would come up with like a there is no number one, there is no number two, <laughs> we're all the same. Uh, anyway, uh, last one: Brandon Staley, Keenan Allen. So Keenan uh, Allen yeah. live tweeted his thoughts during the Chargers game as the Chargers were attempting to implode. And Keenan Allen was just roasting the Chargers. Like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Why are we doing this? They, they went for it. a strong word as the, part of that. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> yes. The, they went for it on fourth down to give the Browns the ball back with a chance to win the game. The Chargers ultimately won. So I think it's instead of it being this being a disaster, it's now just kind of an awkward, maybe an awkward meeting today in the office where Keenan Allen comes in and he's like, what's up, coach? Glad you didn't blow that game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Keenan Allen, you got anything else to say about that? But see, so I, I wonder, do you think they have someone who would show that to Brandon Staley? Because Brandon Staley, I doubt he's on Twitter. If you're an NFL you don't head so? coach, I don't know, maybe I guess. He is a younger guy. He's a younger guy. But it's just like, I feel like if you're an NFL head coach, how much time do you have for Twitter? Um, but just somebody relay that information. Like Somebody could relay. I'm sure somebody relayed the information. That's probably what happened. I'm yeah. sure somebody did. Somebody had to. Maybe run an extra sprint this, this week. Well, well he's that, hurt. Keenan Allen's hurt. That's true. That, that's why he was live-tweeting the game, because he was mm. hurt, so he wasn't, you know... That'd be even more wild if he was live-tweeting from the sideline of the game. (laughs) And he was mad. He's like, I just talked to three other guys. They said it was terrible, too. No, uh, He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's Case of the Mondays. We've got an interview with Holly Kerskeeter, the All-Big 12 player for the KU women's basketball team. They got late night in the fog this Friday. Season starts up in about a month. Uh, Fun conversation with Holly coming up on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. (laughs) Special guest joins us now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Holly Kierskeeter, a All-Big 12 preseason pick coming into this year after she was All-Big 12 as well last year for the Jayhawks. Uh, Holly, last season, obviously making it to the NCAA tournament, winning an NCAA tournament game. How, how much fun was last season, and, and what was kind of your favorite memory from last year? Um, it was a lot of fun. I mean, there were a lot of different things that we finally got to experience, um, some things that we were working really hard for. So, uh, we just kind of took it step by step, you know, from when we started watching the selection show, that was something obviously we've never done before. So even starting there, uh, we kind of just enjoyed it moment by moment because, you know, we need not take it for granted. Um, but we also know, 
we knew that like we earned it. We worked really hard for it. We deserved it. And so um, we didn't go in with any expectations. We just knew we had to, you know, you couldn't take any plays off. You couldn't take anything for granted just because, you know, not everyone gets that opportunity. So, and we know that especially. So we just really enjoyed it. We didn't, um, even though it ended kind of the way we didn't want it to end, uh, we learned from it. We, we knew what to take from it. So we definitely are looking forward to, you know, working hard and doing that again this year. Well, was there a, a moment, I guess, last season, whether it was, you know, heading up to the year or it was just kind of along the way where you kind of did have the realization of like, yeah, this, this team's really good and we're going to have an opportunity to do some cool stuff this year? Um, I mean, we kind of built on those throughout the year. You know, there were some moments in even like preseason practices where, you know, we would play as a team in practice and I was like you know I've never played on a team like this before um and then we started getting in games especially big 12 games uh the beginning of big 12 you know we had that big win at Texas um and it wasn't even just a skill level standpoint it was just kind of like a mentally locked in team that we've never had before and like chemistry wise we were just on the same page and that like those are really the moments that we knew we could build on when we were all kind of here for the same purpose and not just hey maybe skilled wise we're better than these people but hey you know we're all on the same page we're working really hard mentally we're all locked in and those are the moments that we really saw and we're like okay we can do something with this what's the biggest thing that that you wanted to work on now this off season then for coming back for another year this year and and trying to kind of take it to another level what was the the biggest thing that you kind of set your mind to over the off season i mean outside of you know a skill development i would just say being being a leader being a veteran being a senior and in times of adversity in times when when things get hard, making sure that, you know, we have someone, especially me, who's going to step up and get us out of those moments. Um, so obviously, you know, every off season I'm working on stuff, I'm working on getting better, but you know, those don't matter if, you know, when moments get hard and you don't know how to overcome those. It's, it's not all about winning and being the best player and being, um, you know, scoring the most. It's, you know, when times get hard, who's going to step up? So I would just say, you know, my leadership, because um, that was something we had last year, but I don't think we used it to our fullest potential. And so I think when we kind of capitalize off that and get better at that, that'll take us even farther this year. We're talking with Holly Kierskeeter here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. O- overall, as a team, does it feel like last season kind of showed you all what it takes and, and has led to, I don't know, almost an increased focus or anything headed into this season and, and maybe increased goals of what you're trying to do? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we got a taste of, you know, finally competing in the Big 12. We got a taste of the tournament. Um, so, you know, you just continue to build your standard off of things like that. And you don't you don't go off your standard from last year. You, you make it even higher this year. So... You know, regardless of the preseason poll, wherever we were, regardless of how we finished in the tournament, um, we aren't worried about that anymore. We, uh, we're we the ones who kind of practice every day. We're the ones who work hard every day. We're the ones who set the standard for ourselves. So um, we definitely know what it's like, you know, 
finally last year we got to we got a taste of it and so you know now we just want to keep going further and further and we know what it takes to get there so uh we definitely are building off that if there's you know somebody who's going to break out this year maybe a player that we don't know as much about that you've seen really improve from last season to this season over the off season, or maybe as a newcomer, uh, who's somebody that maybe we don't know a ton about that you think could play a big role for you guys this year? Uh, our newcomer, Yvette Mayberry from Tulsa. Me and her, we grew up together a little bit. We played AAU together a little bit, and she uh, she played at Tulsa, and now she came here, and um, she'll be, she'll have a really big role for us. She'll, uh, she'll be a point guard. She'll be a scorer. She'll be a lot of things. Um, and she's done really well this preseason and going into real practice. Um, and so she will be the person who not everyone knows, but will eventually know. Um, so she'll be a name to remember. Well, having another veteran guard in the backcourt with you with Zakiya Franklin, uh, what does that do for you, and, and how much does that mean to, to have her back for another year with you as well? Yeah, she's she, – I mean, for me personally, you know, we've been here together since day one, and to take on every game with her, um, it's kind of just this little pocket of confidence that I'll always have as long as, you know, she's out there with me. Um, I'm always a little more comfortable knowing she's got my back. Um, that helps, you know, the leadership that helps, you know, us veterans kind of come together. She's very level-headed, um, especially more than me sometimes out there. So, uh, you know, we just have a chemistry that, um, I don't really take for granted because, uh, I know that I won't always have that with people that I play with, but yeah, she's definitely someone who I rely on. She's definitely someone who makes me more comfortable out there and it's always you know good to have her and i'm i'm glad she's here i'm glad you know we've stuck it out together over these years and we're finally kind of seeing this success together because she's someone who i really rely on well tiana jackson was such a force defensively for you guys inside last year how much does having her kind of on that back end give you extra confidence on that defensive end and and i i guess kind of help uh uh, on that side of the ball and, and everything that you guys are doing there. Yeah, she's she was the key player last year, and I honestly it even took us a moment to realize like, hey, we can pressure up a little bit more because no one's gonna go, no one's gonna go face her in the paint. Um, and so that's actually something we've been working on this year is just more ball pressure because no one's no one's gonna run in there and face up to her and shoot it confidently. So you know we know she has our back. We know that. Uh, we can kind of change the way we played defensively over the last few years because obviously, you know, she's something we've, we've never had. And so I think now that we finally saw that last year, um, that's something we're getting more confident with this year because even us, you know, in practice when we have to play against her, we know how much of a force she is. So she's definitely uh, good to have. And she's confident in that role too. You know, she's not scared of anyone who comes at her in the lane. Late Night in the Fog is this Friday, and you guys are going to have your, your scrimmage and some dance and all that sort of stuff. Who, who's the best dancer on the team? Um, man, that's hard. I would say, ooh, the best dancer is probably, is probably Tayana. 
I, I got some uh, other fun superlatives for you. Who's the best singer on the team? The best singer on the team? Honestly, me. Oh, you want to <laughs> sing for us? No. <laughs> All right, so not most confident singer, but best singer. Um, who, who would you say is the funniest player on the team? The funniest player is probably Zakaya. She, she comes off as really quiet. She comes off as someone who, you know, kind of keeps to herself. But when she opens up to you, she, gosh, she kills me. She's really funny. Who's the best uh, half-court shooter on the team? Probably Kat. Uh, Katrine. Every every shoot-around will, um, will have a half-court shooting competition. And I think she's in the lead because she made a lot. <laughs> And and who's the player on the team who knows the most like random facts? There's always that one person who just like, n- you know, no matter where you're going, they're like, "Did you know this happened here?" or something like that. That's me. Okay, yeah. love it. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> love it. Uh, last thing I got for it. What are some of the things that that as a team you guys like to do, kind of off the court and and kind of create that that team bonding and team chemistry? Um, we like to have a lot of food making type things like baking competitions and random meals together that we'll make. Um, we like to watch movies together. Uh, but yeah, a lot of food actually. That's that gotta be pretty enjoy. interesting when you have so many players from, you know, different countries and whatnot on your team. I'm sure you get a lot of different types of food, which makes it pretty interesting. Yes, and they love bringing stuff from their country. So every time we do it, it's something completely new and weird to us because we've never even seen it. So, yeah, it's fun. Awesome. Well, Holly, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day and hopping on with us here and uh, look forward to Late Night in the Fog coming up on Friday and the upcoming season here. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Holly Kierskeeter, all Big 12 performer last season and in the preseason here for KU Women's Basketball. Their season starts up in about a month, late night in the fog on Friday. You can check them out during the scrimmage for that. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We get to our NFL Monday overreactions next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up. In the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get to our Chiefs preview, take on the Raiders tonight in Monday Night Football. We've got some more Lance Leipold audio to get to you as well, but it is a Monday. NFL happened over the weekend, so it's time to overreact to what we saw over the weekend with our NFL Monday overreactions. And first up, the NFC East, I guess you should be reading this. I always forget our new format with this. Just <laughs> right. a little, peel the curtain back. The NFC East. You think, Derek, or yes. do you believe that the NFC East is the best division in football? I I don't think this is an overreaction. I mean, how could I mean, it not on be paper, right now? On paper, it's not. They've got three teams that are 4-1. and one. Yeah. It's just more of a question of do you think it will continue that way, right? But, or do you think the Commanders dragged them down so that's much? That's true. Commanders no, are very got, bad. No, they've got two teams that are 4-1, and one, and the Eagles are undefeated still. Yeah. Yeah, even better. Like, that's the thing. But the Commanders are mm. so bad. And and with the Packers, too, losing to the Giants, it's not just that the Giants showed that they could beat a good team. It's that it took the Packers down a peg again, right? Yes. Because we... we... Because, like, the NFC North seems like it would be a pretty Mm -hmm. good division, 
the Vikings, the Packers. The Bears are not very good. You, you, even though the Lions got killed, you figure there's still going to be like a maybe a six or seven win team, which is a pretty significant improvement for them. I think that the Eagles, you have to say, are the best team in the NFC right now. Okay. Yeah. Cowboys have to be in that discussion, too. They're doing all this without Dak Prescott, which even if you don't think Dak Prescott's like a great quarterback, which I don't, Cooper Rush has been serviceable. He's still a lot better than Cooper Rush. Like, that that Cowboys defense. <laughs> You're not a Cooper Rush truther? No. Okay. He's fine. He's a good backup. He hasn't thrown a pick. They've been really good. And then the Giants are 4-1. and one. And I don't, like we were talking <laughs> earlier with the Giants, I don't know why they're good. <laughs> but they are. They're 4-1. and one. They beat a good Packers team. They beat the Titans in week one, which the Titans have since kind of bounced back and, and looked more like the consistent kind of playoff contender that we've seen from them at the last handful of years. I can't explain why they're good, but everything results-wise says they are. All right, so you're willing to, you're willing to stamp this and it's the East best team in, best division of football. Yes. Okay. And it's partially too like the AFC West, NFC West ended up being worse than we might have thought before yes. the season started. Yes. Buccaneers don't look as good, so that's yep. not helping carry that division. I mean, you could look at the AFC East. AFC East is actually really good. Bills, Dolphins, yeah. Patriots, and even the Jets. Jets now. look pretty good now. That would be the other one, but I think the difference and a, and there. AFC North. AFC North also good. But again, those teams are like all jockeyed up. Like Steelers are just not good. Steelers are not that good. No. Browns are Browns fine. Are, eh. And then the Ravens and Bengals are still three and two and two and three. Yeah. Um, the AFC East would be the one that I would try to compare to right now. But even then, if you look at it from the standpoint of like who are actual Super Bowl contenders, it's the Bills and that's it, right? Like the yes. Jets are. The Jets are competitive. Maybe fringe playoff contenders. Yes. Maybe. Dolphins like are case. like they if Dolphins the are quarterback like gets healthy, they should be a playoff team. team. Yeah. yeah. Um the Patriots. Patriots we'll fringe playoff team, right? We'll, we'll get more to that. Yeah. Uh with the the NFC East, Eagles are clear Super Bowl contender. I think the Cowboys are a clear Super Bowl contender. Giants, I wouldn't put in that conversation yet, but they should be a playoff team. So I, I just think there's more there. So yeah, I don't think that's an overreaction. Okay, how about this? The Rams will finish last in the NFC mm. West. Okay, two and three right now. Geno Smith is just slinging it all around the field, but they've they're already, two and three they've as already well, gotten right? this, what? Seahawks are two and three also. Yeah, they they managed to lose to the, to mm-hmm. the Saints actually. Which I don't, I don't really good. know what happened or how they lost that game. I wasn't watching, but they they they, they did somehow lose. Okay, and then you have the 49ers, who I'm still high on. The they had the weird destroyed the couple Rams. losses, but yeah, they're 3-2, and two, right? Um, and then Cardinals they are took just... the Eagles to the wire, but they're looking not that great, maybe. Yeah. I I won't go that far. Also, uh, One of the Seahawks... I still think the Seahawks are going to go like 6-11 and 11 or something. <laughs> um, so I think the Rams will finish around like 8 or 9 wins. But I, yeah, ever since I saw him week one against the Bills, I was kind of on that bandwagon that they were going to have the Super Bowl hangover and that they might miss the playoffs and all these things. They don't look good. The offensive line is a mess. Matt Stafford's struggling. Part of it is because the offensive line's not good. Part of it is because he probably needs to get like surgery in his elbow, but he was going to try to play through it. Like at some point, they continue to struggle and he's struggling. They're just going to have to bite the bullet and be like, all right, we're playing for next year, which is not great for them because they have been so play for this year every year and have given up all their draft picks, but maybe that's an opportunity to win some back, right? Um, Matthew Stafford is not getting any younger. No, he's not. They just they have a high enough floor here that I don't think they'll finish last. You're sure about that? I, yeah, I feel like that's an overreaction. Okay, okay. 
Bailey Zappi will be mm. the Patriots' starting quarterback for the Ooh. rest of the season. Okay, he was he was good His against the Lions. His numbers were not that impressive. He was that's seventeen. The thing. He was seventeen to twenty-one, one hundred and eighty-eight yards. He threw an interception. Mm-hmm. He had a touchdown pass, I think, though. But he was he wasn't yeah. the reason the Patriots won the game. No, he wasn't. The defense I mean, for the Patriots was great. Ramondre Stevenson ran for one hundred and sixty-one yards. But do you think he'll be the start of the rest of the season? I don't. I think it'll be Mac Jones coming back. I think what's going to have to happen is Mac Jones is going to have to play poorly when he comes back as the starter, and then Bailey Zappi takes over from there. So that would mean somebody else is starting at some point. You could make the case to me, though, that he is the best starting quarterback they have. Okay. I think Mac Jones was just more of like a finished product and more of a consistent guy. Well, remember, Bailey Zappi has owns like every record you can think of passing wise from his time at Houston Baptist yeah, like and then he went to 60, Western Kentucky mm-hmm. and he went to Western Kentucky and threw for like 7 billion yards. Yeah. That's an official stat by the way. No, he's very good. Um I don't know. I mean the efficiency there 21 passes for 100 like 188 doesn't jump off the page. 188 yards on 21 passes like averaging like 9 yards well, a pass that's really good. 17 to 21 that's really good. Yeah, good percentage, percentage. obviously. So they kind of protected him in the game, and that's the thing. We, I, I don't think you have a great example of what he is. Okay. But like I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually is better than Mac Jones. I just think they'll give Mac Jones the starting spot back okay, when so he comes back. Okay, so what if I rephrase this as Bailey Zappi will be the starting quarterback for the Patriots at the end of the season? Okay, so now not the rest of the year. Now you're getting along. Season. Would you buy um, that? Would you buy that one? Man, it's tough because I don't... I don't think Bill Belichick's the type of guy that just like wants to play this quarterback carousel game. I'll, I'll just say yes. Sure, okay. why not? Not okay, an overreaction. There we go. All right, how about this? This is the best shot Dallas has had at a Super Bowl since the 90s. Ooh. Okay, so there have been some pretty good Dallas teams since then. You had the the Tony Romo, some of their teams. like The one that sticks out the most, I want to say it was... Well, they had the crazy game against the Packers where they should have won, but then they lost. Are you talking about the one where Aaron Rodgers drove down with like 20 seconds, yep. 30 seconds? Yeah, that the, team was there the was, one seed. Then there was the catch that wasn't the catch also against the Packers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that team was good too. And then there was the one a couple of years before where they were also the one seed. Yep. I want to say they won like 13 or the, 14 The Cowboys games. have had really great teams, mm-hmm. actually. Quite, but, a, quite a bit. But they haven't even made the... They haven't even made the NC, NC, NC mm-hmm. Championship. Since 1995. That's their last trip to the NFC Championship? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, 2007, that was the year I was thinking of. They went 13-3, and lost in the division round. I think they lost that year to the Giants. And then the Giants beat the Packers in the NFC Championship, uh, okay. the team they beat in the division. Um, yeah, 2014, they went 12-4. and Was that was that the catch-no-catch yep. game? 2016, 13-3, that, that was, was the other the Packers, Packers one. That was the Aaron Rodgers game. Last year, they were 12-5 and and then put up that stinker in the wild-card round. So they've had some good teams that have had good shots at it. Yeah. I can actually kind of get on board with this, though. The defense is so good, man. That Okay, that's not where I thought you were going with the starting. No, the front four is maybe the best in football right now. I mean, Michael Parsons looks like yeah. the best pass rusher in the NFL at DeMarcus this point in time. Lawrence. DeMarcus Lawrence is having a great Dorrance, resurgent year. Dorrance Armstrong. Dude, Dorrance Armstrong has been fantastic. Yes, yes. Which has been awesome for him to see. So, like, that defense is, is really good, man. Okay, I thought the argument you were going to try to make here is that Everybody else stinks. Well, that the, too. The, Tam, Tom Brady is old. He's yeah. going to retirement home. Aaron Rodgers stinks now. No, no Devontae <laughs> Adams. The, I, mean, I mean, are you really scared of Jalen Hurts? No. Am I going to pick Kirk Cousins in a playoff yeah, Kirk game? Kirk Cousins. You know? 
Jalen Hurts. Well, you're right. That is as good of an argument as you can have for it. So that that's part of it too, though. But yeah, but, it's, I mean that would get. So good. I mean, I think the the extent of that argument though is that would get them to the Super Bowl, but then they would still then have to beat probably either the Bills or the Chiefs. Or, yeah, or obviously a very very good AFC team. Yes, and I would be picking one of those teams in I, that situation. But the Cowboys, yeah. you got to get there to play in it. And and even if you're an underdog in the Super Bowl, you still probably have a 30 to 40% chance at winning. Yeah, probably. Would you agree with that one? Or do you, with, do you think with, there's a different year? Oh, Is uh, that an overreaction? That, I don't think it is. That this is their best shot? Yes. I think it is an overreaction because of all the years you just listed off of how of how good they've of teams they've had in the past. Like, if you were to take a take a time machine back in time, you would probably say, okay, this, this was the year they had the best chance. Or this was the year they had the best chance. So I'm going to say that's a bit of a reaction. But I, like I said, I think the argument is everybody else sucks, and yes, they have a really great defense. Okay, the Jaguars. They're not good, and they never were. They're fraud. <laughs> the fraud wires. Ah, uh, gosh. I was do, so do like, in on do, them. How do you feel about fraud wires? Are we fra- fraud? Fraudsvinville? No. <laughs> no, I don't think it works. <laughs> okay. I like the effort, though. I <laughs> I was I was in on them after they blew out the Chargers. Defense looked fast, looked physical. They had all these first-round picks on that defensive side of the ball. Trevor Lawrence was starting to look good. They were integrating Travis Etienne, James Robinson in the backfield. They signed all those veteran receivers, which we knew weren't, like, elite receivers, but it was getting the job done with Trevor Lawrence. You have a, a competent head coach in Doug Peterson. It looked good, but I think we're quickly learning that was maybe more of a... Like, I think we just equal out. Let's just... They, they, they lost to the Commanders in the first game. They blew out the Chargers. Let's just equal those out, cancel them out, and act like neither of those never happened because okay. the Commanders would be the low of the low. The Chargers would be the high of the high for them. Okay. I don't think they're like one of the bottom five teams in the NFL, but I don't think right. they're a playoff team here's what or I, near it. Here's what I'll say about this. Do you think this is less about us saying the Jaguars are bad and more about us not giving enough respect to the Texans? Mm, but who have... That was the Texans' first win. Was it? Wasn't it? They beat somebody else. I mean, they almost beat the Bears, but the Bears are bad. They tied with the Colts. No, they, they did tie. No, they should have beat the Colts. Right about that. But, I mean, if, if the Texans don't blow that lead and they beat the Colts and then they win a close one with the Bears, then, yeah, we're sitting here and the Texans are three and whatever. But you can do that with every team in the NFL because most of the games are close because all these guys are professionals and all of them are good at their job. So, no, I... They're not good. That part's not an overreaction. They never were, I guess. Yeah, I, I probably jumped the gun on that. A lot of people did. Okay, that, that was their first win against the Jaguars. Mm. I just wanted to make sure. By the I way, I forgot the, they tied. The last three times the Jags have been favored, all against the Texans, all losses. <laughs> That's tough. All right. Geno Smith is a top 12 NFL quarterback. Top 12. Oh, no. No chance. No this chance. This is an overreaction. You're writing him off? I don't want to be the guy writing him off because he gets mad at people <laughs> writing him off. Dude, he's been really good. Um, I will give it. Now, if you want to make the... Okay. Here's the distinction, right? There's always the distinction between are you a this quarterback or are you having this season? For instance, okay. Patrick Mahomes wasn't top whatever, three maybe last year. And like, if you were to pick who was win MVP among quarterbacks last year. But does that mean that Patrick Mahomes isn't a top three quarterback anymore? Or does it mean he just didn't have a top three season last year, right? Like, there's the distinction there. Um, Maybe you can make the argument to me that Geno Smith has a top 12, like, quarterback production season. But I still don't think we're... Now, if you, you want to talk, like, top half quarterback, I might be close to getting there if this continues. Um, I'm still not probably there. It's just 
12 is tough, How much more would you need to see? Like the rest of the season? At least like another three or four weeks. Dude, 12. Do you realize how many good quarterbacks there are in the NFL to get to 12? a lot of good quarterbacks. Okay, Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Josh Allen. Yep. Uh, By the way, Geno Smith is fourth in total QBR right now, so more to that credit. There you go. Would you put Tua ahead of Geno Smith? No. Okay. Um, Justin Herbert. Yes. Lamar Jackson. Yes. Jalen Hurts. Yes. Derek Carr. We'll leave that uh, one for later. Maybe. Jared Goff. Yes. No. Well, I don't know. That's I actually, feel like they're kind of similar. Yeah, that's a tough one actually. Okay. Uh, Kyler Murray. Oh, probably not. You wouldn't. Okay. Well, I, you would. You think right now? Uh, right now, I guess maybe because Kyler Murray's been bad this year. I feel so like right once now, Hopkins yes. comes back, that'll be a big help, and then okay, we'll be saying it. Okay. We'll say yes for now. Okay. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, long-term yes right now, no. Yeah, he's better. Than Tom Brady. He's looking old. We got to go Tom Brady. <laughs> um, Kirk Cousins. That's an interesting one. That is. I think you... I think you oh. have to go Kirk Cousins. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, Matt Stafford, again, like looks terrible <laughs> right now, but just based on the like Jimmy G. credit he's established... You would is have Gino to know even the is where does he even rate in his own division? He's the fourth great, yeah. best QB in his own division. Joe Burrow is definitely ahead of him. Aaron Rodgers definitely ahead of him. It's it kind of sounds to me like you're writing him off. No, he's not a top twelve quarterback. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Top twenty right now and rising chance for higher. Well, top twenty is, means nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. <laughs> All right, Justin Tucker. Should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Ooh. Okay, so this is weird because it's tough if, if you have, like, this really good receiver and quarterback and it's like, hey, if we put Justin Tucker first ballot, it's going to keep him out. Like, you can't do that. So it does kind of depend on that. But in terms of just in a vacuum without me knowing who would vote around it, I will actually say yes because he is literally the greatest kicker of all time. I think time. this is a slam dunk yes. To me, this is no question. If you are the greatest like, no, if you're at the, what you exactly, do. If you're the greatest player at your position, how are you not a guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer? I agree with that. Like, seriously. And, it, and it's not even like there's, like, any d- debate about it. It's no. Justin it's a Tucker, machine, dude. And then, like, I don't even know where you, how far you'd have to go down before you get to, like, the next greatest yeah. kicker. Like, like Adam, what, like Adam Vinatieri? Yeah, I think they mentioned that on the broadcast last night. Like, Adam Vinatieri has the legacy, the Super Bowls, and the big kicks. But Justin, Justin Tucker's Tucker just a better kicker. He just a, hasn't had those opportunities. Doesn't he have a Super Bowl win? Didn't he, wasn't he with them when they I don't the remember. Bowl? I don't think he was. But no. I... What other? The only reason we give that to Adam Vinatieri is because he made the kicks to like win them the games or like win them big games in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. Other kickers, we never do that. You yeah. know, other kickers that are in the Hall of Fame, we're like, and he exactly. won three Super Bowls. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's all him. That's <laughs> part of the argument. Oh well, this kicker yeah. won multiple Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think this is a slam dunk. Okay. Put him in the Hall of so Fame. Not now. overreaction. Put him in the Hall of Fame right now, right this moment. <laughs> that would be cool. You could start putting like active players in, and then you could rescind it. Like Russell Wilson is in, <laughs> and then after the the twelve to nine game, they're like, "Sorry, you lost your gold jacket." <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That is our NFL Monday overreactions. Two hours down, one to go. Let's get into some Chiefs talk coming up next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We got some more Lance Leipold audio to get to you coming up later on in the hour. Chiefs take on the Raiders in a couple hours on Monday Night Football tonight. Lots of points expected. Over unders in the fifties. Chiefs are favored are, are by you seven and a half. Expecting a lot of points. All these primetime games have just gone under, man. Yeah, it, scares me it, off. They really have. They really have. 
I I would my heart would say to take the over, but I don't know if that's just me being like Chiefs points, Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> do it, you know. And well, here's the question. I mean, we've seen the bad Chiefs mm-hmm. and we've seen the good Chiefs. Which Chiefs will we get? That's the other thing. Like, I don't want to bet on that. Um, you would think on a Monday Night Football game they'd be up for it, but also Remember, like they beat they beat the Raiders like nine hundred to ten. Yeah, in they their did two games last year. Well, also That's there was that. <laughs> I think it was a Sunday Night Football game against coincidentally the Colts as well a couple of years ago when they had that stinker too. So like they've had kind of weird games like that. It's a different defensive coordinator now for the Raiders though than when they put up over forty both games last year. Again though, weird because that defensive coordinator is now the defensive coordinator against the Colts who kind of shut down the Chiefs. Nonetheless, um. Derek Carr has been so hit or miss in this series. Like, he'll have the occasional game where, like, they they won in Arrowhead a couple years ago, and he was unbelievable in that game. And then he'll have a lot of other games, I would say more than those ones. he sucks. Yes, like where he throws, like, interceptions (laughs) where it's like, where was that going to? And it's like an easy pick six for the Chiefs. Again, like you mentioned last year, the, the two meetings where, uh, the Chiefs won. What was your official stat? Like nine hundred to six. Not, uh, wait, which game are you talking about? Uh, the two games last. Oh yeah, nine hundred to ten. Yeah. So, um, this will certainly be interesting to me. I uh, think if you're looking at the Chiefs' offense versus the Raiders' defense, um, I want to see how whether it's Orlando Brown at the left tackle spot or just whether they move him around or whatever. Uh, Max Crosby, uh, how he is. Yep. I guess kind of being blocked on the, the on the Chiefs, front. The Chiefs' O line had been pretty not good to start mm-hmm. the year, and then they responded obviously in a very big way against the Bucks. But the question is, was that like a one week light a fire under them type game, or is that something they're going to be able to build? Yeah. On? Well, they have Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, so like that that's going to give you stress on the defensive side of the ball. But outside of that, the Raiders' defense is bad, and it has been kind of bad this season. Um, so there should be an opportunity for points there. On the other side of the ball, the Chiefs' defense has looked good so far. Yes. How much I don't of know that? If you've seen, but Chris Jones, I think, I think he's number one in pass block win rate on pass. Interesting. Rushing, I think. Yeah, he's been really good to start the year. Yes, he's been very good. And, I think the penalty against the Colts has kind of overshadowed yeah, it. But yeah. Well, and again, I think we talked about this before the year, but Chris Jones. We mentioned how, or I, I believed at the time, and I still believe now, mm-hmm. that he has to be the best player on the Chiefs. But that I, when I say that, I'm not saying he needs to be the best player on the stat sheet. He just needs to be a disruptive force, right? Whether it's knocking balls down, whether it's disrupting the interior of the pockets so of the quarterback can't step up, this, that, other. like He doesn't have to be the best player in terms of when you look at the stat sheet. But when you watch a game, you need to be able to say, okay, Chris Jones had, had the most impact. And so far, I think he's actually done that in a lot of the games this season for for the Chiefs, which is great. We, we you're right, it has been overshadowed. Yeah, we haven't really seen the Chiefs face, like, I think an elite offense yet. Like, maybe the Bucks eventually will be elite offense by the time the, the season comes to its close if Tom Brady figures it out and some yeah. of their injuries kind of come to pass and they get healthy and figure stuff out. But they have, they've kind of struggled this year. Um, you look at the Colts, obviously not been a good offense so far this season. Like so far, the the teams that the Chiefs played, it, it hasn't been like this litany of of highly ranking offenses. But nope. the, the defense has passed the test so far. Now it's not that the Raiders are an elite offense, but they have they have a good offense. Like Derek Carr, solid quarterback. Devontae Adams at receiver. Hunter Renfro and Mac Collins has looked good this year. Um, you have Darren Waller from tight ends. Like they have weapons all over the field. Josh Jacobs has been good. 
to where this is going to be a good test for the defense. Even without Willie Willie Gay, even without Trent McDuffie, if you can put up numbers or, or look good again this week against the Raiders, I think we're going to be coming up tomorrow saying, yeah, the defense is legit. Yeah, I think after the Colts game, you wanted to say the defense was legit, and yeah. I said, whoa, hang on a second. That's the Colts, man. The Colts. Yeah. But I think, yeah, if they go out there and the Raiders put up like 13 points or like 16 points, 17 points, and it looks like a pretty good performance from the Chiefs defense, I'll be more willing to say that. Because to go to circle back to what you were talking about is, on top of what we're discussing with the Chiefs defense, Willie Gay is still not playing. Mm-hmm. Trent McDuffie is still out. And Willie Gay, I believe this will be their last game without Willie Gay. I think he comes back for the Bills game next week, if I'm not mistaken. Or it might be the week after. I'm pretty sure it's the Bills game, though. But I'm not positive. I don't remember, to be I'm honest. I'm like 98% sure it's the Bills that he'll be back for. And then McDuffie, we still don't really know quite yet, right? So, yeah. so yes, the Chiefs defense has played well against some mediocre to bad offenses. But they've also been doing that without arguably two of their top players in Willie Gay and and Trent McDuffie. I mean, if you were look if you were to rank the players on the Chiefs defense in terms of how good they are, you'd probably put Chris Jones one, and then you'd have Nick Bolton and Willie Gay, mm-hmm. and then I think Trent McDuffie would probably be the next guy, right? Right now, or maybe I mean maybe you could put George Karloftis in there, but it's not like Karloftis has done anything mm-hmm. to make you think he's elite no. as a rookie quite yet. He's obviously still very early in his career, and so is Trent McDuffie. Well, yeah, and by but the way, coming that- into the season, McDuffie was kind of hyped up to be to eventually become the number one corner for the Chiefs and now he hasn't even we haven't even seen it. Yeah. That that rookie defensive class you've had so far paying off huge dividends, whether yeah. obviously McDuffie being hurt, you haven't seen it a ton lately, but Karloff, this has been good. We saw Brian Cook a lot more last week. Like he's starting to get a bigger role with the team. Yep. Uh Jalen Watson at the corner position basically winning them the Chargers game and what he's done out there. Uh my my big worry for this game is Devontae Adams having like a takeover game. Yeah, we've seen times where because the Chiefs a lot of times will put their corners out on an island and say, hey, we're going to try to make them make contested catches, make them make contested plays. Now, Devontae Adams is not. He, he's really good. He makes contested catches. He makes those contested is, plays. But, but is that really like what he's known? No, for? he's not. He's That's, known for yeah, route running. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. you could convince me two ways. One, if he's on an island, is he just going to be able to cook guys on the route or two? If the Chiefs do have good coverage, but they lead it to contested passes, maybe that should be fine. But I am worried that you would have like a like a Jamar Chase game last year when they played him in the regular season. He has like 200 yards, and you're not really adjusting. That does scare me a little bit. Also, Josh McDaniels, the head coach, like I don't think he's like a great head coach, but no. as an offensive mind, I think he's pretty good. And they've put together some pretty solid game plans, even when like Tom Brady was or or was gone at different points for the Patriots. And, you know, they had the game where they were competitive, even with like Brian Hoyer. And uh, I think he got hurt and they had to go to like Jarrett Stidham or something. Um, I'm a little bit worried that this is going to be a close game. It's uh, the point spread seven and a half. Saw stat earlier today. The last, yeah. Whenever Mahomes is favored since 2020 by like more than three and a half points, he's 12 and 20 against the spread. Doesn't mean they're losing that many games. I also saw that the Chiefs as home favorites, I want to say, under Andy Reid or like over the last whatever amount of years are like 19-19, so it's like perfectly even. I don't think but, I feel comfortable with the Chiefs spread. But No, I don't I don't know that. It's funny cuz we either, picked it in game picks. But I think they this could be a blowout though for for the Chiefs. And what I will continue to go back to 
and I will continue to go back to it every single time. Andy Reid owns the AFC West. He owns them. All of them. Raiders, Chargers, Broncos, he owns everything. He owns all of them. And until we see some consistency of the AFC West being able to stop the Chiefs and win against the Chiefs, I'm going to continue to bet on Andy Reid. He's done nothing to make me think that he's not going to continue to dominate the AFC West. Nothing. I mean, in the last 10 years, first of all, he hasn't lost to the Broncos since like 2013, I don't think. The Chargers have only beaten him like twice, and the Raiders have only beaten him like twice. I mean, he he owns the AFC West. I I used to remember the record. I think it was like last year or a couple years ago. He was like he was like nineteen and four against the AFC West or something like that since his, since he'd been with the Chiefs. I don't know what his record is now off the top of my head, but the point is is that he has since Andy Reid has come to the Chiefs, whether it's been with Alex Smith or Patrick Mahomes, he has owned the AFC West, owned them, and I'm going to continue to go back to that until I see any of these AFC West teams be able to be able to beat the Chiefs. That's totally fair. If you if you had to pick a, a player to watch from both sides of the ball, who would you go with? Okay, I think I've I think I've named this player multiple times actually for when you asked me this question. Miko Hardman. Okay, I want I want Miko Hardman to do something. Just trying to will it into existence. <laughs> just, I just I like him. I've always liked him for really no reason. He's got a lot of speed, and again, the Chiefs have drawn stuff up for him and. Patrick Mahomes missed him twice against the Colts for touchdowns. He's going to get a big touchdown, I think, at some point. Will it be tonight? Maybe. I think it's going to happen at some point, though. So, I want to say all of the receivers, but Meikle specifically. If I'm not going to go with Meikle, I'd say Sky Moore. I want to see more of him, obviously. And then defensively, uh, I think you'd have to go with either one of the corners, so Rashad Fenton, or... Jalen Watson, or maybe Nick Bolton. You know, playing what we what I think is his last game without Willie Gay. I don't know if you confirmed that when I was talking about it earlier. I'm pretty not. sure I'm pretty sure Willie Gay is back for the Bills game because he got a four game suspension and he missed the Colts. He missed the game last week. This game, well, maybe he, well, maybe he's maybe he's still gone for the Bills. Yeah, I think he's out for the Bills. I think that's the last yeah. one. Then maybe my maybe I'm wrong. Listen, I've never claimed to be a good counter. Maybe I should have watched more of Count Dracula when I was a kid. <laughs> that was the difference. Yeah, it's his <laughs> gay suspension began in week three. He'll be eligible to play again in week seven against the 49ers. Oh, this week okay. after. So he has gone for the Bills. Okay. I like well, this guy more one. He he started playing a lot more. Last week, we saw him yeah, a few more just, times in, in yeah, offense. I guess the public pressure of yeah. get Sky Moore on offense finally paid off. Yeah, it did. Um, I mean, I feel like Travis Kelsey's just always going to have a good game. If I'm going with like an underrated yeah, exactly. player, though, like it's 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 hard it's hard to you can't just sit there and be like, well, watch out for Patrick Mahomes, yeah. watch out for Travis Kelsey, <laughs> watch out for Chris Jones. <laughs> Um, I will say Marquez Valdez Scantling. Like, I feel like it's only a matter of time before he catches like a deep pass in a game. Maybe this is the week that it happens. And then on the defensive side of the ball, hmm. I George Karloftis, big game for him. Okay. Big game. He but when we were off air, I showed you what he was wearing yes. tonight. He's wearing like a it definitely influenced. He's wearing my like an Andy Reid inspired outfit, actually. It's like straight up Hawaiian. He's got a, like a palm tree button-down shirt. He's got 
shorts. Mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> Two sacks tonight. Two sacks for George Karloftis. Definitely you, one. You heard it here first from Derek Johnson. <laughs> but all that aside, losing to the Raiders would just be so sad. I would just be <laughs> I would just be really sad. Like I was I was angry about the Colts game. This game I would just be sad, I think. Because it's the Raiders. Man. Well, you have the Bills and the, the 49ers coming up after but this. it would just be classic Chiefs. So they lay an egg against the Colts. They dominate the Bucks. They lay an egg against the Raiders. They dominate the Bills. What if that happens? <laughs> no, it, it would be. It would be. Uh, in the same way that they lost to the Colts and then pretty handily beat the Buccaneers. Final score looked closer than that game actually, actually yeah. was. Well, the problem is the Chiefs' defense is good, but it's never good enough to have, like, a blowout win. Maybe it is now. No, because then they would have blown out the Bucks. I think. And they didn't blow out the Bucks. Mm. They still have Tom Brady. Also, we'll Tom Brady threw it 52 times against the Chiefs. 52! Surprised almost, his arm didn't almost, fall off. Almost matches his age. Or I guess went over his age. With, his, with the amount of passing attempts he had. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Chiefs play later tonight. Let's get to some more Lance Leipold audio coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.